Hello and welcome to Meet My Potential podcast, where we talk to leaders from around the world to inspire and to ignite your potential. This is your host, Deepa Natarajan, that Indian girl from Toulouse in France. And today we're going to talk about why do we need to rethink the way we lead? I was recently interviewed by Susie Lewis from Transform for Value. She has a podcast channel called Let's Talk. Susie has a way of asking the right questions and bringing out the best, especially in me. So enjoy this interview on Rethink Leadership. Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk podcast. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. Today, I am delighted to welcome Deepa Natrajan, executive coach, entrepreneur, speaker, and more importantly, founder of Meet My Potential. Deepa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susie. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure. Today, we're going to be talking about rethinking leadership, changing the paradigms of the way we live, and driving sustainable change. Deepa, you've dedicated a lot of your career to understanding people, understanding change, understanding personal transformation more deeply. And, you know, this is where we met on those subjects. We share our passion for these subjects. And I like to think that what we do together creates more innovative solutions and a different type of approach. And I know that you have your own personal innovative approaches on this subject. But before I ask you to talk about that, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about Meet My Potential and what inspired you to found it? Well, several things inspired me to found it. One, I would have never got on the journey of personal development if I had not faced challenges. Mm-hmm. And these were not technical challenges. These were challenges that I faced with other human beings. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult challenges. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I said, I want to understand the human brain because I'm a th- I mean, I basically an engineer. And it's like, okay, I have this part that I don't understand. Let me go to one coaching program and let me understand a little bit how the human brains work. And then let me come back and apply it to my leadership Mm. role. And, you know, that's how I actually started. And then I just fell in love with human beings, (laughs) understanding them. And I'm still trying to understand. And then my whole journey in the last 10 years has I've spent a lot of time, money, and energy mm-hmm. in a lot of leadership programs and coaching programs, and also researched on my own how people can make changes in their lives, both personally and professionally. And so um, that's how actually Meet My Potential came about. But what is Meet My Potential? In one simple statement, Meet My Potential is all about meeting that potential which is there within you yeah which is something outside like i have uh-huh. to reach that right mm-hmm. and yeah. it's something it's about cutting through that noise because over the years as we get socialized and as we develop we picked up a lot of noise and i like mm. to look at it as like you know there are lots of cobwebs around us <laughs> and we don't see ourselves in the <laughs> yeah. mirror yeah. and we don't see that beauty in us. And for me, meeting that potential inside us is actually removing those layers of cobwebs so we can actually see us. Okay. So you're starting from the hypothesis that everybody has potential that is remains unlocked if they don't go inside. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. You yeah. watch a baby in a park and you go like, oh, she's so <laughs> cute. Oh, she's so adorable, right? And we're all like that. Mm. And I like what you were saying about technical challenges and the sort of softer, more adaptive challenges in terms of understanding the human being. 
That sounds like a very interesting and a very intricate journey you've been on. What's the biggest learnings that you take from that journey? When you approach leadership Hmm. from that point of view of technical challenge, I could see myself going into these different leadership programs and saying, and sitting at the front right next to the teacher (laughs) and saying, give it to me, let me understand everything so that I can actually go and help my clients, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there is that arrogance in that. Yeah, yeah. And just for our listeners, can what do you mean by technical challenge? Can you just come back to that definition you've made of technical challenge, <laughs> which, you know, we always use this language, but I think it's interesting. Right. So a technical challenge is a challenge that you can solve quite easily with expertise, okay. with time, mm-hmm. and with money. Mm-hmm. The car's broken down. You go to a garagist. He's got the expertise. He's got the time, and he's got the and you you've got the time and the money, and you can just solve that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's the easier part of problem solving. Let's put it that way. Exactly. It, it exactly. reminds me of Aretha Franklin when she says, "You know, there's no point in going up the smooth side of the mountain because there's nothing to hold on to." <laughs> and, I, and I think it's interesting around you know the challenging paths we can set for ourselves to change the way we see ourselves and and the way we do things. So what does Meet My Potential do then? Clearly unlock potential. How do you do that? (laughs) Million dollar question. (laughs) (laughs) So how do we unlock potential? I think there are several ways and several journeys, but the Mm -hmm. first question is like, who do I help? Mm -hmm. Right? You can unlock potential in everybody, but I'm more focused on people who are a bit like me Mm-hmm. And why am I more focused on people who are a bit like me? <laughs> because like that's been my journey of self-development. And uh-huh. that those are the clients that I want to help. So who are the clients that who have also been attracted to me? And who mm-hmm. am I serving to help them to meet their potential? These are people who are highly driven. And you might ask me the question: so who are the people yes. who are driven, right? <laughs> so people who are highly driven have this innate need to achieve and get somewhere and get somewhere again and again. And this constant push and this want to achieve and that hunger and the drive is just like born with them. Mm-hmm. Or it, just cre- it just gets created in them through the journey that they've been through. Mm-hmm. These are the people that I help because at one point of time in life, there comes a point where you realize that, whoops, I'm no more my achievements. I'm no more my expertise and mm-hmm. I'm no more my relationships because all along life, I worked to get there. Like, yeah. you know, let me get to that post. Let me get to that position. Let me get to uh, making X amount of money. Let me have just this one success. And then this next one. And mm. our whole journey has been to go up there. And then there comes this point where I want to return home to myself mm-hmm. and I want to touch and be happy, like see my entire potential because like my potential is not just my achievements. My potential is not just my expertise and the solutions that I bring in this world, Mm. in this organization, and Mm. not just the relationships and the networks that I've created. Mm. And I think that's really interesting because in organizations today, the profile you're talking about sounds so familiar and we see so much of it. And I think the way organizations define talent, reward talent, it often pushes people to deliver more and to do exactly that, to um, drive themselves harder, to deliver more more quickly with less, et cetera, et cetera. So tell me a little bit more about 
the profile of a highly driven person and how you go about helping them. I think I'm essentially talking about rethinking leadership, but over to you to to give me your definition of what that looks like for a highly driven profile. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. You just (laughs) nailed it. The more you go up higher up in the organizations, people get promoted because they are a perfectionist. People get promoted because they are a problem solver. People get Mm -hmm. promoted because they are action-oriented, because all these things result in the bottom line performance of the organization. So Mm. we want more of these people. And the organization is pushing for more of these people to go up. And these people automatically go up. Now, if you take an example of a perfectionist, right? A perfectionist just gets promoted because of their inability to actually make sure that there's no failure around. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And But then if you look at the other nature of the perfectionist, it can actually get highly controlling, it's mm, like clearly, wanting yeah. to uh, check, micromanage everything that goes down there. And it can become pretty exhausting for their team members. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly when, when they come for coaching. Mm. Or if you take a case of a problem solver, a problem solver is someone who just loves to solve problems. And mm. their way of bringing leadership is to solve problems and be in service in the organization. And now that's great, right? You might say yeah. like, that's a great quality. And that, and yes, it's true. Finally, all human beings, we are here to be in service of something, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. great to have that ability. But it also takes away the ability to bring co-responsibility for a problem solver in his or her environment. Yeah, yeah. I and so want... rethink leadership is all yeah. about, for this person who believes that these traits of being action-oriented, being a problem solver, being a perfectionist, is the only way to success. That's the paradigm shift of rethink leadership. Like, let's rethink mm-hmm. how, and I'm not saying that don't be a problem solver. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying don't be action-oriented, don't get things done. I'm saying you need that and you need the opposite duality of that. Mm-hmm. You need that balance. Mm. It's really interesting because all the traits you're giving I just want to come back a little bit to perfectionism and problem solving and the fact that that can be very exhausting for their team. Is it not very exhausting for the person themselves as well? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I had to ask that question. Sorry. <laughs> but, but, you know, whenever I ask a problem solver, whenever I ask a highly driven person, isn't it exhausting for you? Mm. And for the listeners who are listening and who think like, yeah, I know it's exhausting for me. The number one thing that I will say to you is, Susie, is yes, it is exhausting, but then there's no other way out. And I have the resilience. Like, mm-hmm. I might just fall down, but I don't want an ambulance to come and help me. I'll get up and I'll walk my way back, but I won't ask for help. I'll just be very you know, strong and independent. Mm. That is a great resilience to have. But that is exactly what stops you from growing and scaling your leadership. It, it's really, it sounds familiar, of course, and it's very interesting. I, I see it all over the organizations that I work with. But I think coming back to this idea of I'm normalizing, I'm normalizing this state of thought and this state of doing, which I'm also telling myself is a state of being. So it's fine. I'll just be self-sufficient, deal with it and drive myself to deliver harder and it needs to be perfect. So, which is a great place to be because it's very rewarding for the person who's delivering. But as you say, is it really allowing that person to grow 
and to thrive as opposed to striving for success. So I want to come to the idea of duality that you mentioned. It's very interesting in terms of, can you explain a little bit more what you mean by duality and how that serves the person as well as their leadership? Yeah. And if I may, before I even go to the course, <laughs> like I want to actually emphasize a little bit more on how problem solvers actually think. I created this assessment where people can mm-hmm. identify. So for your listeners, if people are keen to know, you know, I want to know what's my profile type. Am I a problem solver? Am I a perfectionist? Am I a future focused person? Like, you know, what are my traits of a highly mm-hmm. person? Like happy to uh, share my assessment uh, there with you. Excellent. But, Thank you. You know, the way the problem solvers, the thinking patterns are a bit like this is, is that I'm the only one to solve the problem in this organization. And I mm-hmm. take on this responsibility, which almost becomes like a burden on my shoulders. And I move people, I move capabilities in the system to actually produce a solution for the organization. Mm-hmm. Now, that comes a little bit from the place of ego, mm-hmm. because the person, we tend to get into this mode of more control. And so what happens is when the solution is not well accepted because the others didn't get involved, right? And didn't take that responsibility in the mind of a problem solver, right? What happens is that they immediately go into this belief and this thinking that I am stuck here in this organization with a bunch of idiots (laughs) or (laughs) I'm stuck in this organization where there's too much politics Mm -hmm. and I won't be able to take my solutions forward. Or mm-hmm. I'm stuck in this situation where people are just not understanding the solution and how things need to function because I know where we need to go. Mm. That frustration leads to the person thinking that this organization is not fit for me. Mm-hmm. I need to move to the next job. And, and it that also blocks a problem. Yeah, it also blocks co-responsibility, if I come back to what you said. Absolutely. So what happens is the system doesn't change. Mm. Person doesn't change. The person goes to another job, experiences a great honeymoon period. That Mm -hmm. honeymoon period could last a year or two years. And then you find yourself back in the same patterns again. And there comes this point in life where people realize that, you know, this is the hamster wheel. This is the pattern that I'm stuck in. And so again, you ask this question, like, who do you help? Right. Yes. (laughs) And so I help people not who are stuck in the hamster wheel, but I help people who are stuck in the hamster wheel and believe that they need to ask for help and believe that they really need to grow their leadership and scale themselves because they want success and well-being. Mm -hmm. Because how many of us, Susie, know that we're caught up in this hamster wheel, but don't have the ability to say there is another way out there and I I need to ask for help. Yeah, and I think that's a big realisation, isn't it? And it's probably quite a scary one. Uh, but, but when you let courage push you rather than fear and you think, okay, I'm going to do something, now I'm thinking we're talking about changing paradigms of how people see how they lead. So what does that look like? Where, where do they come to ask you for help? What are they asking you to help them with? Yeah, and I think that awareness shift is that jolt that comes like yeah. it didn't come to me like I was in this I was having all these traits of this highly you know <laughs> highly arrogant person I can still be arrogant I'm not so, like humility is not my best friend okay so, <laughs> um, like I have a, I have a little stone which is humbleness and it's uh, 
<laughs> you know, I drew it and I painted it and it's a day, it's a constant reminder mm-hmm. for me to actually be humble, mm-hmm. but it's that knock on my f- door. Mm-hmm. It's that people shook me up. People gave me feedback. People mm-hmm. told me that I was arrogant. People told me that I also felt the pain of it. Like I was fatigued and I, w- I used to get physically sapped of energy mm-hmm. and I realized that's not the life I want to lead. Mm-hmm. And I want to actually lead a life where I don't give up on success. Okay. And, achievements. and yeah. I realized that I want that and I want well-being and I want to walk in the nature and I want to mm-hmm. enjoy this planet. Right. Yeah. And so when you get that, right, when you reach that place, mm-hmm. what does it actually look like? And so the first thing is like to understand and to get to know like, what are my drivers? Like, what are mm-hmm. my thinking patterns? What are my assumptions? Uh, what are my beliefs? And how am I actually functioning? Like having an understanding of that. And then creating a plan, which is like really strategic. And I'm saying creating a plan, which is not just a technical plan. <laughs> and, you know, when you say, okay, um, let's take the case of a problem solver, because we've been talking about that, right? Yeah. And so let's say we want to bring more co-responsibility in the system. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the question is like, okay, now, to bring co-responsibility in the system, what is that behavior I need to change? And mm-hmm. it's not about technicalities of what systems and processes need to be put in place in the organization for us to be co-responsible, but it's like, it starts with me. How can I bring that more in this organization? Where, can I, where could I be responsible for the fact that others are not taking responsibility? Yeah. You know, and I like that co-responsibility part a lot because like the first time I asked myself the question, like, where am I co-responsible? Like in a big way was when COVID hit Mm -hmm. and it just came to me in my meditation, like Deepa, this is how you're responsible for COVID. You know, you could ask yourself, how are you responsible for the terrorism in this country in France? How are you contributing to it? How many Muslim friends do you have? Do you talk to your neighbors who, who have a whale? Like, you know, There's so many areas where we think that that's not my role, Mm. but we all are like these microorganisms Mm. (laughs) who are contributing to micro transformations happening both within us and outside of us. And I think COVID has accelerated the inside transformation, hasn't it? Because people started to ask themselves questions that maybe they didn't have time to ask themselves before around their purpose, what they're doing, why they do what they do, what's their value at work, what's their value in, in at home, etc. And I think that's really interesting to look at why now and how do I do something with the realizations that I'm having. So if I come back to your program, you created a whole program around rethinking leadership. How does that fit into somebody who sits there and has what I call a light bulb moment and thinks, oh, I can see that hamster wheel and I'm going to consciously step out of that hamster wheel. And I want to look at doing something about it, but something more sustainable to actually make a difference to my life and to come back to what you said to allow me to balance my life between what I do on a personal level, what I do on a relationship level and what I do on a work level. How, would, how does your methodology fit into what they want to do? Hmm. Well, I, I can talk about my, my methodology a little bit, but before that, uh, you pointed out something essential, which is like what's happening in COVID times that people are realizing this and more people are questioning mm. uh, the way they function. One, because I, most of my clients I work with are like senior managers who have been traveling pre-COVID a lot, who had a very dynamic life. And it's so hard to actually not have any distractions. So when, when you have a problem, 
it's so easy to have like, you know, get into numbing techniques, get distracted mm. by my travel, get distracted by a dinner, get distracted by meeting friends. Or I have a little pain. I'm uncomfortable about the fact that the meeting didn't go well, about the fact that my solution didn't go well. What do I do? I immediately go and have a drink with somebody or I immediately mm. go um, into my next travel agenda. And there's so many things happening simultaneously. Life is so dynamic mm. that we don't stay with the problem. And now the distractions are out. And we're kind of forced to stay and we start to see. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually good because it's brought us some stillness and mm -hmm. that stillness has brought us some awareness. Yeah. We're more disconnected than ever as humans, even though we're more connected technologically. We're starting to get more connected back to yeah. us. Yeah. And so what's the methodology? So the methodology is very simple. Like they're basically... 20 key points. So like if someone ever said change is easy, <laughs> well, we know change is not simple. Change is not easy. And so I have this methodology, which I've actually tested with 57 individuals and mm -hmm. all of them made fabulous changes in their lives professionally and in terms of their behavior and in terms of how they could have well-being and success. This methodology has 20 checkpoints. Okay. And so change is not just a set of procedures. Uh, change has like 20 different moving parts. And mm -hmm. some of the moving parts are like, yes, I need to understand my drive. Yes, I need to have a plan which allows me to test another way of being in a way that feels safe to me mm. because I don't want to fail. I don't want to jump off the cliff and become... Uh, go to the opposite end of the polarity and just become this uh, person who's sitting at top of a mountain and meditating. No. <laughs> <laughs> the one of the important factors, especially, is everything changes when I change. All things around me change when I shift. Mm. And so when I shift, I need to make sure that my ecosystem of relationships and my systems around me are also ready to receive me mm. in the way I function, in my new me. That, that is so true, and it resonates so much with me. C can you give us an example for, for our listeners of how that might play out in a an everyday situation? For someone who wants to evoke more co-responsibility, mm -hmm. yes, it immediately means that this person is starting to question and involve people who were perhaps not involved early on. Perhaps mm. people wanted to be involved, but then mm. they just got so used to like giving the problem to the person saying, okay, I know, let's just say Chloe. Okay, I know Chloe is just going to do exactly this. Or I know mm -hmm. like uh, David's going to take care of this completely. But when the person starts to say, I'm going to now evoke co-responsibility in the system, he's going to start to go and question and wall people and slow down the systems mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm. And so one, it requires the person to actually say that I'm going to slow down this whole okay. process, yeah. right? And so what's my relationship with slowing down? Like I had perhaps been totally allergic to going slow. Such right? a great question. <laughs> what is my relationship to slowing down? Yeah. And so when, and so that's like the first shift, right? You can say, okay, now he needs to ask this question, but he's not going to ask this question. I'm just saying he could be he or she. Mm. He's not going to ask this question in his organization because that first requires him to change his, own, his or her own paradigm about like, what does it mean for me to slow down? That's that first equation that you solve with yourself. Mm -hmm. Then comes the second step of 
okay, I'm going to ask this question and now people are going to be surprised by it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And they don't want to be perhaps involved in it. And so how do you train them to do that? Mm -hmm. So if you want to receive something from someone else, you've got to train the other people to give it to you. Absolutely. It reminds me of the discussions around feedback to bring it down to a very operational example of, you know, everyone gives you feedback. Feedback is a gift. Yes, it is, but you need to unwrap it. And I think the whole giving and receiving paradigm is massive in terms of how, what you do with what you receive and how you go back and ask for what you receive. If I come to earlier in our discussion around asking for help for highly driven people, what I'm understanding is that doesn't come naturally asking for help. So what does that mean for the way they receive? Beautiful question. Even before what do they receive? Mm. The question is, do you go and ask for it? And how do you go and ask for it? And for me, I, receiving, the first step of receiving is to know that you don't diminish mm -hmm. just because you're receiving mm -hmm. with open arms, right? Our tendency to believe and feel good when we help others automatically means that we feel terrible about ourselves when we receive help from others um, why because that? our ego gets involved. It's like, okay. oh, I know how to solve that problem. I know how to help you. And I, I feel good about helping you. It mm -hmm. automatically means that I'm not going to ask for help and I'm not going to receive from you because it automatically means I'm not strong enough. Mm -hmm. So it's questioning the strengths of the person. Exactly. And it's courage and it's mm -hmm. strength to actually to receive. Which is, I'm just listening to you thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, because it isn't my natural definition behind receiving. You're right. And I think it's very interesting to make the observation. And then I'm presuming that somewhere in your methodology, they do something with the observation. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. The next time, Christmas is coming up. This is like November when we're recording this podcast. Mm -hmm. When you receive, here's what I want you, to, your listeners to do, is unwrap that gift, whatever you receive, and stay with it. Like, don't let that moment pass you by and move on to the next thing. And just stay with it, like, for, like, three or four minutes. And just stay with the person who's given you that gift. And let that touch you. Mm -hmm. And when you don't receive what you want, let's say, in an organization, go ask for it and receive one with silence. Let yourself become a silent observer of what you receive and see what happens inside you. What does it trigger in you? What thoughts does it Excellent. evoke in you? Excellent. Thank you. And that is something we're talking about Christmas, of course, but you could also do it in an operational context. You could do it in your team context, in your community context, with your boss, with your peers. Exactly. So the next time you see some uh, a blame game happening, right, mm -hmm. uh, in the organization, you could just say, hey, I would not like to be blamed this way. What I would like is this. Can you share with me the facts? Mm -hmm. and, and so you're training, you're setting your boundaries and you're training people as to how you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. I Excellent. want to be involved. I, I would like that you're more involved in this project early on and not at the end. I would like that you show up in the meetings. We don't ask for things very easily. No, clearly, clearly. Yeah, and we don't take the time to either because why should we when we can do it ourselves? If I take a stereotypical way of thinking. Exactly. I, I don't need others and I can just go faster alone. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> but further together, as the African proverb always says. Exactly, but that slows us down. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> but um, we're back again to this duality of speeding up and slowing down. So is it really all about finding balance for the, for the highly driven profile? Right. So I want to actually normalize what's balance yeah. for people. Yeah. So balance does not mean I re- like for an action oriented person like me, like I'm totally very actually, if somebody knows me out here, they know <laughs> how much I'm always in the doing, doing and doing. Like, so for someone who's like very action oriented person, what does it mean? Actually, it does not mean that I reduce the number of things that I do and I become mm. lazy and I sit on the sofa and just stare at the sky. Right. So I want to be totally action oriented and I want to reap completely the benefits of that. And at the same time, I want to practice as much stillness as possible, mm. right? So if I'm meditating 10 minutes a day, no, that's not enough. I know that I'm not reaping the benefits of stillness. So mm-hmm. I want to actually give myself stillness, time for stillness for two hours a day. So how do I get to like two hours a day of stillness and be completely in the action? And that's the balance of the duality. Mm. It's not the balance in terms of like I reduce you know, the amount of push I give on the accelerator towards being action oriented, Mm. but it's like, how do I push that? And how do I push the buttons also in terms of, or going towards stillness? And that's the duality and the balance. And how do I find two hours, two whole hours for stillness? I mean, I think, you know, that's around how much value you put around, how much time you put aside for yourself, because stillness is essentially time for oneself, isn't it? Time to go inside, let's put it that way, whether it's via meditation or yoga or or journaling or or any of those things. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I think a lot of times. And I used to also think how many times and we know all human beings, the first decision is made at an emotional level. And then we look for data to actually justify (laughs) all our decisions. Right. How many times has it happened, at least to me and I'm sure to my listeners, to our listeners out there, Mm. like that you're cycling in the forest, you're walking in the forest, and suddenly, boom, a message comes to you, an idea comes to you, and that tells you, like, that's the right way to go. Mm. And then you come back, and then you, you immediately take the action for that. Now, you don't have data points to actually validate that decision that you're Unfortunately taking. Unfortunately not. <laughs> it's a little exactly. bit uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And if you look at like senior top executives, they don't have enough data points either. Like mm. no matter how much analysis and everything that has been done, they also tap into their intuition a lot. Yeah, and stillness allows us to tap into our intuition, things that we can't tell intuitively. Mm. And this is like the Western world where we've been brought up with, where, you know, everything is a very discrete element And I put data points together, I analyze, and I come to a conclusion. Mm. Whereas the Eastern way of education in in India, like I remember my mom used to tell me like very simple things like, oh, what's that? And I used to learn, oh, that's a bird. And that's how I learned the word bird. But I didn't look at a book and say, oh, that's a bird. And and this is an umbrella. Mm. And then she would ask the next question, like, where's the bird going? It's going to that tree. Oh, what's there on the tree? There is a nest. And so I learned so many words, right? A tree, a nest, eggs. And so, which actually means that everything is interrelated and interconnected with each mm. other. Yeah. And that's the Eastern philosophy of everything that exists, it coexists in relation. We are here in relationship with objects, with nature, with human beings, mm. and in this galaxy. And stillness allows us to actually 
tap into something much bigger. And I love that. I love that. As you know, I'm a big believer in systems and, and human systems more particularly and, and how we remain interconnected. So both with ourselves, if I take, you know, with your spiritual energy, with what's going on with our relationships, but also with objects and with our purpose. And, you know, what is our vivid vision? What, where are we going and, and why? And to come from that future as opposed to coming from the past. Time is flying. I'm going to wrap up. Otherwise, we could talk all day. <laughs> but, so thank you for your call to action already for our listeners to be still and to sit with a specific situation and receive. What would be your last recommendation to our listeners for those who are having a realization as they listen that maybe they're in a wheel and they want to step out i'd like to leave them with a question how sustainable is my way of functioning Mm -hmm. and really ask yourself the question is this way of functioning going to help me to scale my leadership and to have well-being and enjoy this precious life excellent I'm just going to leave our listeners with that powerful question. Deepa, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susie, for having me. If this episode resonated with you and you are looking to transform the way you lead and make sustainable change, pick up a call with me. It's absolutely free and we can talk about how you can make effective change. All you need to do is head over to meetmypotential.com slash strategy. So that's www.meetmypotential.com slash strategy. And let's talk about how you can make radical transformation happen. I look forward to talking to you again in one week's time. And until then, stay cool.